Hello, this is Scott Gordon, head coach for the Philadelphia Flyers. You're listening to Snow the Goalie. Welcome back into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the people's podcast, the players podcast, the personnel podcast, the perennial podcast, and wow, Anthony, the uh, the Crack of Dawn podcast. We're recording at, well, I believe just a little bit ahead of 6 a.m. on Wednesday morning, and uh, we are you're, here. We you're are, a little too chipper for this this time of day. Oh, listen, I was up at, uh, what time did I get up this morning? 5.20 a.m. and found that my computer was dead, so we... We're a little bit late starting here. My apologies. It takes me back to the old days of getting ready for a crossing broadcast with Kyle and Adam Lefko of Bleacher Report, where we would be up at 5.45, and one of those guys would show up around 6 o'clock, and the other would show up around 6.10, 6.20. Poor Russ. Just sat here <laughs> well, you waiting know, you for know, 40 you, minutes. So you know, what I've, you know what I've noticed? What's that? So I usually wake up you know, a little bit before 6 every day. Um, to get my day started. So this isn't like it's a time of day that I'm not used to being awake, but I'm not usually used to being incredibly functional. That's what I've noticed this morning. Mm. Like I'm sitting there, okay, I got to go get the computer set up and you know, be ready to talk. And you know, I'm, I, I woke up Andrew early so that he can get ready for school. I said, you can go lay back down again because I didn't want to wake him up um, after the fact because I figured yeah. we would be too late at that point. Um, but I'm, I'm realizing that I'm not as functional as I thought I would be um, to actually be doing some real work well, it's funny <laughs> this should, hour. It's funny you should say that, Anthony, because I think about two months ago, nobody expected the Philadelphia Flyers to be much of a functioning or functional team. <laughs> and that late in the season, it felt like there was no shot that they would do anything other than get themselves entered into the Jack Hughes sweepstakes. But oh no, oh no, friends, Romans, countrymen, let me your ears. I come to praise the Philadelphia Flyers. Not to bury them, the inverse of Mark Antony's speech. Um, look, a, a very exciting uh, set of circumstances, some great play, and quite frankly, some excellent coaching by interim coach Scott Gordon has led this team very close in the uh, the playoff hunt. As of, uh, what was it, Monday night's win, they pulled within three points of uh, two teams that I remember two months ago saying I expected to bottom out, the Carolina Hurricanes. And the Columbus Blue Jackets and Anthony. No, 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 no. no. You, you got them wrong. You got them wrong. What? It's, Montre- it's Montreal, not Carolina. Well, no. L- listen, I said that those two were going to bottom out. I'm convinced. I think Montreal ended up picking it back up. But I think the uh, uh, what is it? The final game of the season they have against Carolina is going to be the one that's going to get them in. But uh, anyway, you can call me Rustradamus from now on. How are you doing? Um, Rustradamus. The Flyers are now five points behind Columbus and Montreal. Montreal is not in the playoffs right now. The Flyers are seven points behind Carolina uh, after last night's uh, action. Um, so if anybody's Nostradamus around here, it's going to be me because even though they have, what, 13 games left, 12, 13, what, they have 12 games left, 13 games left, they're not making the playoffs. <laughs> Look, I, I, I want to give them all the credit in the world for, for not giving up on this season. It would have been easy to do. It would have been a really, really simple thing when they were the worst team in hockey. They were in dead last place uh, in the NHL on January the 9th or 10th, whatever date it was in January. And here we are uh, you know, a couple days past, two months later, 
and we're still talking about them as a potential playoff team. And they, they have a shot. They're within striking distance. But the, the, just the nature of the sport of hockey, is it's so stupid. And I say this every year. I feel like a broken record every March. But the way that this league has the playoff structure formatted or the, even the regular season um, structure formatted where there's an imbalance in what the worth of each game. A, a game that ends in regulation is worth two points. A game that ends in overtime and a shootout are worth three points. And and because of that, you know, you have a lot closer, tighter games that tend to go past over past regulation and at this time of year. And teams everybody gets a point, you know, and, and that's just not right. It's the um, Oprah Winfrey system right you get a point you get a point yeah, everybody gets a point yeah it's just wrong it's just it's it's a complete it, it changes the value of a win <laughs> i mean it really does um so yes last night uh montreal won and um and columbus won um and carolina pittsburgh everybody 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 won last night so uh flyers wake up this morning and uh they are still five points out of a playoff spot uh, technically six because they would lose a tiebreaker to everybody um they and, and do have a game in hand right now on columbus for that final wild card spot not that it matters yeah but the the, the thing of it is is that when that the, the more important number is the regulation wins right i mean if you really if you yep. really want to look at it i mean that's the more important number um so even if you tie columbus for that final spot you're not you, you can't pass them um so you really need that sixth point and that that extra point could be the difference in in this uh in this run I, it, I would not be surprised if it came down to it that they were able to get to the hump uh get right on the precipice of it of getting over the hump but not quite getting there and finishing tied with somebody and not getting in because they don't have enough regulation wins that would be that would be the most crushing <laughs> situation of all i think is to play at the as well as they're playing um and to get even with somebody but not be able to get into the playoffs because of the regulation win disparity i mean they are six wins behind columbus i mean that's you know that's not gonna that's just not gonna cut it with 13 games you ain't making up you aren't making up six wins right so that that really is having to get over yet another hump as well so look I, i there is one thing i wanted to talk about um Scott Gordon and and the team and something that I've that I've really kind of noticed and I don't think anybody's really brought it up yet but I think it's been a an, an impeccable strategy um, and it has nothing to do with in game um, but I, I think it it has been the reason that the Flyers have looked so good and so fresh and so ready in so many games um, since January 10th and that's this Russ they aren't practicing. Have you noticed this? Yeah, they they, uh, they 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 practice. I mean, there's a practice here and there, and they're on ice. They have optional practices, but basically, they are they have been in body management mode for the better part of two months. And once you know, we, you know, Scott Gordon told us on on this podcast, you know, when we had him on as a guest, that he didn't have an opportunity at the very beginning to really kind of implement the stuff that he wanted to implement and and change the system and structures around um, and, until it got closer to, you know, to, to that January, that magic date that we all keep talking about in, in early January, um, because there wasn't a lot of practice time built into the schedule. Since then, he's had more time built into the schedule. 
and while there have been practices and there are practices, there are a lot of days off or optional skates really allowing guys to determine, you know, hey, yeah, I can, I can, you know, I need a freshener, I need, I need to, I need to blow, I need to take a day, and then you know, get my body back to where it needs to be for the next game. And I think that you're seeing that the Flyers have a lot more jump than a lot of these teams who are practicing pretty regularly or pretty much every day. Um, and the Flyers are really looking looking sharp in these games because of that. I mean, they're not going to be perfect, right? Nobody's Nobody expects them to be perfect. But holy cow, I mean, they've really, really, um, you know, been impressive in a number of these wins. The Islander wins especially, I point to those. Because um, that Islander team is a very good defensive team. Um, you know, they, they're plus 32 in goals this season. Um, I think there's only, you know, only Tampa, Toronto, uh, and San Jose and Calgary, the only teams that are better than that. So the Islanders fifth best goal differential, uh, have only allowed 168 goals total this year, which I think is the best in, in hockey. Um, and, uh, and the Flyers just went out and, and dominated two games in New York against them, um, and I think those two speak volumes to this uh, this strategy that Gordon has put into place to let these guys be able to to play at a level that they need to play at in order to beat the best defensive teams in the game. No, I think you're right. And and when you look at the, uh, I I always like to go back to to Gordon. And let me start with the uh, the practice thing you brought up. It's a thing that um, has been, I think, more of a a shift in things in other leagues. I mean, we've seen it with the NBA where, you know, most of the top teams, even you go back to the way that LeBron James was able to stay healthy um, on his his dominant runs with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Why, the reason that they kept getting back to multiple NBA finals, a big part of it was they, they straight up said they don't practice. You know, it was shoot arounds. It was like maybe talking about a, a couple of things strategically, um, you know, getting some tactics and plays installed. But realistically, a lot of teams in the NBA at this point don't really practice either. And, you know, I mean, some of that is a function of the CBA. Um, but you look at this now, and, and you're right. Like, the, the team has looked fresh. I think maybe one of the more impressive things that Gordon's done has been this decision to go to 11 forwards and 7 defensemen as often as he has. And I think there have been a you – know, they've all obviously had their hand forced a few times, notably uh, Voracek and Patrick being out prior to last weekend. Um, but you look at what that's been able to do. And it's something that I, I've wanted to ask Gordon. I, maybe we'll do this uh, after tomorrow night's game. But the contributions that they've been able to get from young players and the way that he's been able to get guys like Phil Myers meaningful minutes in a in what really is a, a playoff atmosphere every game. I mean, he said the other night, they know that they're playing Columbus and Montreal every night is the way that he's been putting it to the, to the team. Like, you know... They, they aren't really going up just against the team that they're playing on the ice. They also have to know that they're, or they have to be cognizant of the fact that they're so close to these other teams. They need things to break their way, but they also need to control their, their own destiny. He's been able to keep these guys focused. And, you know, when I look at a guy like Phil Myers, I don't think we knew exactly what to expect of him when he came up. I don't think that we expected him to get big minutes unless the team fell out of playoff contention. And here they are, and, and Phil Myers looks good. Um, and Travis Sanheim continues to look good. Travis Konechny, I think, has been in a little bit of a, a scoring slump. We haven't seen as much of an impact out of him recently as I think we had earlier in the season, but he's still out there busting it. I think Nolan Patrick's had a really big change um, 
right before, I think it was a week before the All-Star break, we talked about the fact that, like, maybe he looks back to last season and saw how he played in the second half of last season and uses that as kind of a catalyst to propel him through the, the rest of this season. I think not only have we seen Nolan Patrick getting himself more on the score sheet, but I think we've seen a, a new fire burning in the kid. Um, and I, and I, I have to give a lot of credit for the way that some of these younger guys have played and played in meaningful minutes and played in meaningful games. You got to give a lot of that credit to Gordon. And I know that there are people who have, you know, written, who have, who have spoken into a microphone, who have mocked Gordon for being the interim coach, but I know that we said that Dave Scott is likely going to want to make the Quenville splash, but I don't know how if this team gets within a couple of points of the playoffs at the end of the year, based on where they were before, I don't know how you could justifiably move on from him. I really don't. And I I know that a lot of times we get sucked into that fear of, oh, the interim coach. You know, guys are going to play hard because their coach was fired and now they have a new voice. But usually that's just a very short momentary bump. This is this is half a season now of this team playing some of the best hockey in the league. Nineteen and, five and two in their last twenty six games, Russ. That's not yep. that's that's a lot of games. And that's, that's not that's fluky. Not, you know, yeah, that's, that's that's not, not just fluky. That's just not it's not just guys getting an emotional bump. And like I said, when you've got injuries that racked up like they did, and like knowing that going into um you know, last weekend getting Voracek and, and Nolan Patrick back after they had been out for a bit. You just see the way that it lifts these guys up. But even in, in the, the game on Monday, the team falls behind one nothing to Ottawa. It's a game that earlier in the season with Dave Hackstall as coach, this team would have rolled over. First of all, their heads would have dropped. Their body language would have changed. Their shoulders would have caved. You would have seen it on the bench. You would have seen it on the ice. It would have been, oh, no, it's happening again. I'm, I'm, I think it was, uh, might have been Roffle who said it after the game that, you know, those were the things that would happen earlier in the season. But now all of a sudden, not only do they not collapse, they fight their way back. They they exert their dominance in the second period. They do give up a late goal, which, you know, in the past has been cause for concern. But they, for the most part, dominated play against Ottawa. And they look like a good team. They look like a team that's worth building around and really doesn't need, I think, a lot of the, you know, major changes that a lot of people were predicting them to either make before the deadline or in the offseason. Anyway, yeah, there's yeah. there's my uh, my long rant of the episode. No, 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 that's fine. Um, I think that they are getting production from further down the lineup, which they were not getting before. I mean, look, I mean, it, it's it's notable to point out that in the last eight games, they've scored three goals or more in every one of them. Um, um, you know, this is a team that we sat down and at games many many nights and said if they get two, they're lucky tonight, right? I mean, that's their offense struggled that much. I think that uh, thirteen of the thirty one games. Um, that Dave Haxtell coached, they had two goals or less. I mean, that was that's that's a lot, really, when you think about it. Um, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's um, 24 of 38 that they've gotten three goals or more um, with uh, with Scott Gordon, um, including the last eight. Um, and and it's, and it's not just like they're sitting there every night at three either. I mean, you go look at the run here in these last eight games: four against Pittsburgh in the outdoor game, five against Buffalo. Three against Columbus, six against Jersey, four against the Islanders, three against Washington, five against the Islanders, three against Ottawa. I mean, they're they're putting the puck in the net, and it's because they're getting some depth scoring. I mean, Oscar Lindblom came kind of out of nowhere. He's now got 13 goals this season. Um, 
uh, Scott Lawton set a career Lawton, high with 11 yeah, on Monday yeah, night. Lawton, Lawton starting to score. Raffle had a, a nice game against Ottawa, like you, you pointed out already. In his 400th um, so, uh, career game. Yeah, so it's it's not just Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, and you know obviously Jake Voracek didn't play against Ottawa, but you know in him, it's not just those guys. Um, so they're getting they're they're getting production from further down the lineup, and they're getting really good goaltending. Um, it's interesting now because Brian Elliott has played so well, and uh, Carter Hart's going to come back, and he's going to play against Washington on Thursday, uh, and Elliott's going to play Friday in Toronto. Um. Which I find I, I find that pretty interesting. Um, that that's that's the that's the way that they're that they're going to go with this. Um, and maybe because Elliott didn't necessarily have a great game against Washington the last time that they played the Capitals, so that, you know, try and give a different look against Washington this time. Um, but still, I mean, that's it, it, they're getting good goaltending, they're getting offense, and they never they're never out of a game. They're just never out of a game. Um, uh, the uh, last time, I mean, they did have a couple a couple bad games about a month ago when they hit those two back to back losses against Tampa and Montreal. But you take those two games out of it, I can't tell you the last time the Flyers looked bad. It goes back to before this run. I mean, it it really does. I mean, maybe the St. Louis game back on January seventh when they got shut out three nothing. That might be the last time that I, that they never were in the game. Um. So for two over two months, they've really been playing superior, superior hockey, and it's it's a shame because I think what's going to end up happening here, Russ, is this: I, I think that you know I still maintain that I don't think this team makes the playoffs. I think the schedule is too tough; they're too they got to make up too much ground in too short period of time. I mean, you still got Washington. I mean, this run, this this stretch coming up for them: Washington, Toronto, back to back night off, and then in Pittsburgh, right? Then you got the big one against Montreal on the uh, on next Tuesday. I think that you know at Wells Fargo, that's the huge one. Um, uh, sh- sh- go to a quick quick jaunt to Chicago, um, which isn't a big deal because the Blackhawks aren't very good and, and they've kind of f- faltered and fallen back out of the race out out west. Um, but then it goes Islanders, Capitals, Maple Leafs, Hurricanes for four straight games. I mean, if you start looking at what the, what this schedule looks like, then they get a hiatus, a break with the Rangers, and then it's Dallas, St. Louis, Carolina to end the season. I mean, it's it's a tough, tough road. If they get into the playoffs, that will be not only is it, it will you will we sit here you know for years and talk about this great run that they made at the end of eighteen nineteen, but really look at the teams that they had to beat to get there. Is is fascinating. Yeah, to they me. will have earned it for sure. They will have it, it will have really earned it. Is the thing. So, um, I, you know, I don't I don't necessarily know, um, and that's why I don't think that they're going to get there. But the the, the 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 thing that I worry about, and I sit here as some as an observer, and you know, you look at the work that Gordon's done and the work that these players have done to really play uh, at this elite level for as long as they have. Um, it, it could very well get undone in an off season. If they don't make the playoffs, and it's it's a that's that's the thing to me. Like it, I almost feel like they're playing for the coach's job. They're playing for their own jobs because if they don't get in, I think that there's going to be a mandate from above for change. And I I don't think it's deserved. I don't know. I don't know. You, you have 13 games left. They, if let's just say for just for kicks, Russ. Let's for kicks. Let's say they go eight, eight, three, and two. Right? Is that thirteen? Um, eight, three, and two, the rest of the way. And so you you end up finishing twenty-seven, eight, and six. 
in your last half of the season. With, uh, with arguably the probably the second best record in the league behind only you know Tampa, who's still got a shot to set a record for the best season in the history of the NHL. Okay, that's that's the kind of level that the Flyers are playing at, and uh, you don't get a chance to get, to do it again next year because management wants a, a big name coach to come in. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't. I this is Scott Gordon is winning with this team. It's not smoke and mirrors any longer. I mean, we kind of thought maybe at the beginning it was a little bit of that, but not now. Um, there, there's certainly a plan in place here, and he's getting it done. And the players are believing in what he's selling. They're believing in his. In, in it, it, it's. I, I haven't seen the players on the fly, on the Flyers buy into a coach since the days that Lavi had them playing like a Stanley Cup finalist. Let me go with belief a little bit more. So when we were talking in the uh, the post the post game scrum on Monday. Um, there were like three guys that I think were asked the question about, does the team now feel like they actually believe they can they can make the playoffs? Because the the whole cliche of going game to game and then saying that, you know, you still think you have a shot to make the playoffs, like that doesn't really ring true a month and a half ago, right? Like that just feels like what players are, are coached to say. You can see that in these guys' body language and the smirks in some of the nonverbal communication, in addition to the the normal cliches, that they genuinely believe they have a shot, that they genuinely believe in each other, and they they really do believe in their coach. It it is absolutely bonkers when you think about what this team looked like early in the season. Every time we would go into a very silent Flyers locker room following yet another disappointing loss, versus going in following all night long, you know, it mm-hmm. it like I I can't explain to people because I, I you know it's one of those things that you don't get to experience as a fan like. You watch the game, you see whatever the, the pregame interview is, you see the in-between interview, um, and then ultimately you see part of the postgame scrums, but that's it. Like You don't get to see a lot of the uh, the body language that tells you a lot about like how a guy's feeling about his own game and about the team. There is just a confidence that goes with this team, and I, I mean, the, be- the beginning of the season we talked about confidence a lot. I mean, it was the, the vocabulary word of the season, of the 18-19 season, was confidence, and the team has it now. And seeing this, again, this is why I come back to, like, you see these young guys with this level of confidence and being able to play well in high-leverage situations, it is very encouraging for the future. Now, when you look to what this offseason could could bring, and I think that's where I want to pivot to now, there could be the, the possibility that there are some wholesale changes happening if they don't make the postseason. I'm not sure that even if they were to make it, that there wouldn't still be some sort of mandate from up top to go out and make a big splash. And while some people are focused on guys like Eric Carlson or Artemi Panarin, I I wrote a thing uh, over the weekend about the possibility that the Flyers jump in on RFAs. And initially it was met with with some resistance from people saying, oh, do you remember what happened with Shea Weber? Oh, God, thank God Nashville matched it, you know? Look at that disaster, huh? Um, and then after a while, it, it kind of became people reading like people actually read it um, and then started pivoting and, and turning it around a little bit to saying, wow, you know what? Mitch Marner and Braden Point are both 22 years old, about to be 23 years old. They both had, as of writing it, 82 points and 67 and 68 games, respectively. These aren't guys that are, you know, a fair comparison to Shea Weber uh, or the Shea Weber um, poison pill contract that the Flyers offered. Um, with Paul Holmgren. So 
I think if the team's going to make a splash in in the offseason, it's not going to be on unrestricted free agents. I expect them to go in on restricted free agents. Quite honestly, I don't think it's just going to be the Flyers. If you go back to the uh, interview that we did with Bob Clark, uh, I, I always come back to whatever the question was asked, see if the guy actually answered the question or if he spun it in his own way. And the question that I had asked is, why don't more teams pursue restricted free agents? And he didn't just give the the company line that I, I would have expected, which would have been, well, you know, you don't want to burn bridges with with agents or or not agents with um with other GMs or other front offices. He said it's going to happen. It will happen when a team has three or four million dollars of cap space. A team's going to come in and offer five or six or maybe overspend. He said it. Then Pierre LeBrun wrote an article for the Athletic where he uh, had quoted Chuck Fletcher as you know talking about the possibility of RFAs, about free agents in general. Uh, RFAs came up a lot with multiple GMs, and then following the Chuck Fletcher quote, he went on to uh, provide a an anonymous quote. He provided anonymity, which I still can't say correctly. Uh, anonymity. Anonymity. Thank you. Yeah, maybe you Ana- can say it in German. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> Uh, but that that anonymous uh, GM or front office person was granted such because uh, he was talking about another team's player, but came right after the Fletcher quote, not saying that it was Fletcher. Uh, but the the possibility of Kasperi Kapanen was brought up, and you know if you offer Kapanen six million, can Toronto really match it? I, I think there is a a very high chance the Flyers pursue a top free agent uh, via RFA, via an offer sheet. There have only ever been 35 contracts offered to RFAs in the history of the league, only eight since 1993. Two of those eight contracts have been offered by the Flyers, one by Bob Clark, one by Paul Holmgren, who you will recognize as Chuck Fletcher's mentor and highest boss, respectively. I think the Flyers had three. No, they have two since 93. Uh, Guaranteed. uh, Chris Gratton. Yep. Ryan Kessler. Shea Weber. Hold on. I'm going to go back and pull it. I'm pretty sure. It's since since 93. I I think one of those was before 93. Hold on. Nope. Nope. Hold on. Grattan was late 90s. Hold home, Skillet. Don't ruin my day. Ryan Kessler was, I want to say, 05, 06 that season, right coming out of the lockout. Um, And and then, of course, the Shea Weber deal was uh, 2012. As a matter of fact, the very first day that I was hired by the Flyers was the day that they were giving him a tour. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I got to meet Shea Weber my first day with the team. Um, they were walking him through, and I you know, shook his hand and everything, and I was told, you cannot tell anyone that he's here. I'm like, oh, great. This is this is unbelievable. That's not bad or anything. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, it was funny because it was like a, a week later, um, uh, there was a um, – I was over in Voorhees for I don't know for some purpose one or the other. I th- oh, I think they were. I don't know if they were. That was when they were remodeling. I don't remember what it was, but anyway, I was over in Voorhees for the per- for some purpose. And John Stevens, who was the coach of the L.A. Kings at the time, uh, or assistant coach of the L.A. Kings at the time, um, was over there. Oh, it was. I remember what it was. It was during um, prospect camp, and uh, Stevens was over, and he was just watching like a fan, like out on the outside. Um, and we just, I went over to him, we just started talking and I let it slip in that conversation that Weber was there (laughs) and he looked at me like I had three heads and I was like, oh yeah, I uh, I just heard that. I just, that's what I'm hearing. Like, and I, I had to try and cover it. Um, because I forgot that he was, he wasn't working for the team. Um, it was just, just a generic conversation and, uh, 
later on down the road when he he saw me again and he's like he's like man you you got good sources and I'm like wow I, I said well it wasn't that quite the, quite the case I said I happened happened to be day one of me working for the team and I found out so um, but uh, yeah I mean I, I'm pretty confident that the Flyers had three guys that they went after well thankfully I went back and I looked this up my friend and luckily I built myself a little bit of buffer I said in the last twenty years and so I am right. Because uh, it was back to uh, 1998-99. Back in in 97, Chris Gratton, yes, you are correct, was offered a contract. Well, you said since 93. Yeah, I know. I misspoke. I went back and I I checked my (laughs) article. I said 20 years. In the last 20 years, only eight contracts have been offered in two by the Flyers. Thank God. That would have just been awful. That would have just killed my cred. Yeah. But we're good. So I was correct. It's Gratton, Kessler, and... And Weber, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Back to ninety-seven. Yep. 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 All right. Just all right. making sure. Oh, yeah. Keep me honest. Just put another another check mark in my Keep column. That's all right. Well, no. <laughs> I misspoke on the podcast, but my my well thought out article that uh, that you proofread, by the way. Uh, yes. I I was correct. Thank God. That would have no, been no, that would have been terrible. I'm just I'm just poking the bear here a little bit, Russ. It's all good. I like being a bear. Yeah. Rawr. Um. <laughs> Look, I, I can't explain to people how much I would love to see this team. I, I know that on um, on Facebook groups that I posted the uh, the article to, a lot of people had brought up, well, God, think about all the compensatory picks you're going to have to give up if you are if you manage to sign. Say it's Braden Point from Tampa. Um, and, and now they have – it's it's funny. Like, in a way, Tampa Bay and Toronto cap-wise committed to next season, they both have – 16 players under contract and they both have roughly 10 million of cap space but it really does feel like toronto is a lot more uh up against it than tampa does it feels like tampa's got some assets that they could they could sell off and clear out enough space to match for point um but if you're the flyers and one of the things that i brought up in the story is there is a possibility that if for some reason you were going to offer a massive deal on like we're talking in excess of $12 million per year for Braden point that perhaps maybe you work out a side deal to acquire the negotiating rights to Braden point prior to the season ending, or I'm sorry, prior to the off season. Um, and you know, as part of that, you think maybe the, the Tampa Bay lightning are in need of a defenseman. They only have two under contract for next year. I believe they have two guys that are under entry-level deals, so technically I guess they have four defensemen under contract, but four of their um, highest-paid defensemen this season are uh, UFAs at the end of the year. Maybe you do think of parlaying one of your good young defensemen uh, and along with a pick or multiple picks to get those exclusive negotiating rights for Braden Point, and maybe Tampa bites on it. I'm not sure they will. I kind of doubt that they would want to make that side deal, but the possibility is there. And if you're the Flyers, you have a ton of defensive depth. I'm not looking to part with a, you know, a Travis Sanheim in this deal. I'm not looking to part with a Phil Myers, who I think is valuable um, in a lot of ways. Maybe a guy like Shane Gostisbehere, who brings a very unique offensive skill set, also brings only a four and a half million dollar cap hit, which is very manageable for a team that's going to be close to the cap as is. You know, maybe you're able to parlay that and and a few picks and you know if Tampa feels like a poison pill contract is going to be something they're not going to be able to match or it's going to have to deplete a lot of the depth that they've been boasting about all season I don't know I'm not sure that it can happen but I think that's the the way that it could if it does happen yeah I mean, so what I'll say to that is this 
you could you could reach out to a team and basically say I'm going to make an offer. You're a GM, and you can make an. I'm going to say I'm going to make I'm going to offer sheet your restricted free agent. Um, yeah, so I'm going to give you an opportunity to get something for him in return, and let's work out a trade beforehand, uh, or else you're going to have to deal with the offer sheet. And in a lot of a lot of times, the trade will be more palatable because you're getting some. While although you get value in return for the offer sheet, um, depending on the size of the contract, could be as many as four first round picks. Um, even though that exists. Um, you, sometimes you want to get something that's of, of value now because if you're talking about four first round picks, I mean you're talking about a guy that's you know want part of that trade or part of that restricted free agent signing is probably not in the NHL for seven eight years. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah it's way down the line. So um, so a lot of times a team will sit there and say, okay, well let's maybe we can work out a trade so get something that for for the here and now uh, in return for the player. Um, and t- some teams might be willing to listen to that. Now, some teams may call the bluff. Like if if I'm you know if I'm Tampa, let's just say, and you come to me and say, "All right, listen, I'm going to throw you know all this money at Braden Point. You're not going to be able to match it. Um, why don't you just trade him to us, and we'll give you some value in return? Because I want to hold on to you know you want to hold on to your draft picks." Because um, they are assets. Even if you're, they're going to be late first-round picks, they still remain as assets for other potential transactions. Um, and and I don't want to you know lose my player for just draft picks. Lose my star player for just draft picks. Yep. So there's there are you know there's a little give and take back and forth. There's a little gamesmanship being played. Um, and then you wait and see and see how it works out. I I I don't I do think that there will be. Um, more restricted free agents sheeted all given given an offer sheet this year i I think it's going to happen um uh, finally uh, i've been in the camp for years that says that this this should be something that happens every year this should be part of the off season you should be throwing money at guys and forcing teams to to match those offers and then say okay now we're here's a team that i was originally going to be competing with for this unrestricted free agent in in on july one and now uh, maybe not. Maybe they drop out of this uh, this race for this player because I forced them to spend more money than they wanted to to, make, to keep their own guy. Um, I, I'm not certain that guys like Rantanen and Marner and Point really ever get to the point where they're going to be offer sheeted because I think those teams will find a way to retain them first. Um, but I think if you go further down the list, I think you might see guys – get an offer sheet. I think Carolina is going to have to deal with an offer sheet for Sebastian Ajo. I think uh, Vancouver might have to deal with a, an offer sheet for Brock Besser. Um, Winnipeg is an interesting one. They have both Patrick Laine and Jacob Truba. I, I'm not certain that they can keep both. I think you might see one of them get an offer sheet from somebody. And I definitely think um, Kasperi Kapanen is going to be on that list as well. And I, you know, it's interesting you mentioned um, the anonymous quote, and it follows Fletcher's quote in a story that uh, Pierre Lebrun wrote for The Athletic, and I will tell you that there is an, um, a journalist's um, convention, if, if, for lack of a better term, um, that when you write a story and you need to have an anonymous quote thrown in, very often it is somebody who has already been quoted um, prior to that. So there were a handful of, uh, three, I think three or four GMs that were quoted prior to that anonymous quote um 
a lot of times when that happens, it's usually the last guy quoted. Uh, and the last guy quoted was, in fact, Chuck Fletcher. Um, and then, of course, we have the, the luxury of having a tie-in. You know, I was told that the Flyers were really interested in Kapanen at the beginning of the season. Um, and that, the, you know, when they were discussing a potential trade back in November with Toronto, um, that it could have included um, – uh, Kasperi Kapanen yeah, for, for Wayne Simmons. Simmons. So, so I think that you know when we put all those pieces together, it wouldn't surprise me if Chuck Fletcher is the anonymous source in that conversation with uh, Pierre LeBrun about Kasperi Kapanen, and I would not be surprised if that's the guy that the um, that the Flyers are looking to offer sheet in the off season, and it makes a lot more sense. Toronto is going to go out of their way to make sure that they can sign Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner is a star player in this league at 21 years old, okay? They are going to find a way to spend the money that they need to spend to get him on their under the cap. Think about that for a second, though, before you move on. Bill Meltzer and I had talked about this on uh, the Press Row show on Monday. Um, if they do it, so like, let's say the Flyers go in and offer $13 million, right? It would be bonkers. But imagine they go in and offer $13 million for Mitch Marner. That means that going into next season, the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs would have roughly uh, thirty five million committed against their cap, thirty five million of eighty three million committed to three guys: John Tavares, Austin Matthews, and Mitch Marner. That doesn't seem like a recipe for success to have that much of. I mean, you're going to have over a third of your cap tied up to three guys. Yeah. It's, All right, move on. Go ahead. Pittsburgh did it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they won Stanley Cups with with being you know, with their guys being Crosby, Malkin, and whoever the third one was. I mean, whether you want to count Flurry as the third contract or, um, if, well, you if mentioned you something that Letang that Toronto or, hasn't done, which is Pittsburgh. Part of their ability to do it, and part of their ability to attract guys to come to them in free agency that might have committed a higher salary elsewhere, is the fact that they had won so many Stanley Cups. And by the way, they had the best player in the game in Sidney Crosby for quite a long time. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's, a, it's the same formula, though, is what I'm trying to tell you. It's the, same, it's the same thing. It's like we have two or three star players, and then you know, the, we'll fill in around the, you know, around the margins with what we can, and then they used their future. Like the, the Penguins are going to be bad again in a, in a couple years. They're going to be really bad because they've, they have no system. Um, they traded away all their good draft picks. I mean, like they're, they got nothing coming, and, and it's just a matter of time. But they, they went all in to try and win as much as they could, and smartly, I would, I would say, uh, with Crosby and Malkin as the, as the you know, as the, and I guess Latang maybe even um, as, their, as their best players. Um, you know, and they're able to make that work for a few seasons, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to crumble and fall apart. Um, and I think Toronto is going to face the same situation. They're going to say, all right, listen, we need to keep Marner, and if we have to fill in on this roster in some way, we're going to have to get creative and trade future um, to get the players that will fit under our cap you know, to make the runs that we need to make. But So I think that they're going to keep Marner, but there's no way that they're going to keep Kapanen if someone throws $6 million at him. And the Flyers have the flexibility in, in their under their cap to do that, to throw that kind of money at Casperi Kapanen, who, by the way, grew up in the area because um, his dad was on the Flyers when he was uh, when I guess when he was a young younger guy, um, and 
you know, he played junior. I think I'm not sure. I think he played for the junior Flyers. Anyway, he played in in Voorhees, you know, in South Jersey, um, growing up, and he was considered. You know, they knew then that he was going to be an NHL type player. Um, so anyway, uh, they, you know, they have a lot of familiarity with him. We've heard them talk about him for months now. It, it really would not surprise me if that's the Flyers' target. So since we talked about the Flyers' targets elsewhere. The Flyers have a bunch of guys coming up of their own that are RFAs at the end yep. of the season. That includes Ivan Provorov, Travis Konechny, Travis Sanheim, Phil Myers. Do, do you think any of those guys end up getting an offer sheet elsewhere? No, I, I, I don't. And the reason I don't is because teams know the Flyers have a ton of cap room. Now, the one thing you can do is maybe if you're a division rival and you look at that and you say, man, the Flyers have all this cap space, maybe we can put a dent into it by – offering a you know significant like an eight million dollar a year deal to uh, Ivan Provorov yeah the only and and of those guys I think Provorov is really the only one that has an appeal enough to another team that if for some reason the Flyers didn't match it that you would be willing to take them on for a big contract I'm not sure the other guys have done enough at the NHL level to sit there and take such a grandiose risk on a huge contract, Provorov might be the only one, and even then, I'm not convinced that that it's it's doable or it's it's something that teams would want to do. I, I you know there are a ton of restricted free agents, um, and like I said, I think the big names are are, are going to be are not going to get get an offer sheet, but I do think that there are a handful that will. But I don't think I don't think you're going to start targeting guys further down the list and, and say, oh yeah, they, you know, th- th- there's a guy that I'm. Gonna... I'll tell you one that I think has a shot, um, and maybe getting you know, drawing some interest is uh, Jordan Bennington, the, the kid who's been outrageous in goal for the Blues. Um, he's a restricted free agent in, in this offseason. So I, there's one that you know if a team needs a goal, needs goaltending. You try and put St. Louis in a bind because they got some, you know, top end talent on that team that they're that they, you know, have big contracts. And I think that that's another possibility. But other than that, you know, I think Winnipeg's got an interesting situation. Toronto's got an interesting situation. Um, and, and you also tie in the fact that the, the Canadian dollar isn't very good um, compared to the American dollar. And so, you know, these guys, you got to remember, the guy has to sign the sheet first before team has to match. And so the player has to be willing to leave the city that they're in, right? So maybe those Canadian guys, you know, maybe even throw in a guy like Matthew Kachuk in, in Calgary. I mean, maybe those guys, you know, are are saying, well, you know, uh, yeah, I'll sign an offer sheet if it means going to the U.S. and, and making a little bit more coin. Sure. All right, cool. <laughs> I think uh, it's about as comprehensive as we could have been, all things considered. Um, I've got to run to work. You've got to run and take your your kid to school. Um, so we're I think we came in around forty minutes, which is uh, which is I think a, a decent enough length. Um, really quick before we go, uh, we're working on a couple things for the show, so uh, keep an eye and ear out for that. Um, might have a guest coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, Flyers play on Thursday night. They host Washington, and then Friday they're at Toronto. How do you see these two games playing out? I don't like these two games. These two games scare me a little bit I mean Washington is playing its best hockey of the season right now um, they're starting to look like the team that won the Stanley Cup last year um, it's they're they're rounding into form I mean I know I say that after they got beat by Pittsburgh the other night but that was a must-win game for the Penguins more so than it was for Washington uh, in Pittsburgh um, but they really are playing 
really good hockey, and and we saw how they looked against the Flyers last week when they played. Um, and even though the Flyers got themselves back in that game, that was five nothing before we blink. We could blink. Yep. I mean, Washington just came out and ran the Flyers out of the building uh, for a period and a half there. Um, I have to say, I I do think one thing I, I disagree with uh, from Scott Gordon is is the way that he's managed the goalie situation this week. I think Carter Hart should have started on Monday against Ottawa. Get him some minutes against a team that, quite frankly, doesn't have much up front, and then allow. Brian Elliott to go into tonight's game or uh, Thursday night's game against Washington and then make your choice about Toronto for the weekend. But yeah. putting Carter Hart in today kind of feels like that weird situation leading up to uh, to the the stadium series game where Hart started two games back to back where it was like he started the Tampa Bay game early in the week, got got chased, then came back and started the Montreal game and got chased again. I, I don't agree with with the way that he's rolled these guys out. Now, if Carter Hart comes out and Thursday night, you know, pit, you know, throws a, you know, ends up putting up a shutout or, you know, holds Washington to one goal, then cool. I'll be happy to say I was wrong, but I, I don't like how this looks. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, dis- I don't disagree with you. I would have, I would have done that as well. Um, but I do see two things with this one, uh, Elliot really looked bad against Washington and it was the one team that made him look bad. Um, so maybe you, you want to avoid going to Elliot you know, against that same team again so quickly, um, so soon after it happened the last time. Um, so I get that, and and maybe also, maybe Carter just you know we don't know what the his physical situation is with the ankle. Maybe Monday just wasn't quite ready, re- quite ready. Maybe they needed to give him an extra couple days to sit there and say, okay, he's good to go. I, so there's there's a couple of things to it. So I don't want to I don't want to kill the decision. Um, you know, but if all things were equal and, and everybody was available and everything was what it was, I, I could certainly see doing it the way you suggested for sure. Okay. Uh, we have two iTunes reviews, five stars real quick before we head out. Uh, first one is by Philly Lawyer, recently discovered five stars. Keep up the great interviews. Really enjoy your insights and perspective. I just started to listen and love the content. A Flyers fan for 34 years. Just had my first child. Congratulations. She and I listen together in the middle of the night. She's also a big fan. Thanks, guys. Dan. Maybe we'll have to get a Snow the Goalie uh, onesie made up for the baby. I think that's wait fair. Wait a second. Wait wait a second. What? We we now we now have listeners who are infants? Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. We're the, maybe are we the Pedialyte podcast? The Pedialyte podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Future sponsor Pedialyte. Uh, <laughs> and then the next one is from CM Feeney 13 who says Flyers front runner 5 stars. Being a Flyers fan living in Pittsburgh, ooh, sorry. It's hard to talk with uh, knowledgeable hockey fans, so having uh, these boys have kept me sane, and it's a blessing. New content you seemingly can't get anywhere else, uh, even when I disagree with their opinions that have logical takes for the most part. Keep it up, boys. Love the content. Just need more of it. Well, if you need more content, don't forget to go check out CrossingBroad.com, where Anthony and I will be uh, posting some Flyers stuff the rest of the week. Thursday night, of course, we have the Press Row Show, the only streaming live press row show from press row of wells fargo center that's available on the crossing broad facebook and twitter feed via periscope and also on anthony and i think hopefully we'll have all four sources up it'll also be on my periscope so go check those out um interact with us pre-game and during the first and second intermissions and um we will be back again next week with a new episode of snow the goalie the only flyers podcast but uh until then for anthony at ant san philly I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again very soon.